Hello everyone, this is Shannon Morgan and you are listening to episode 10 of Sound Mind, a place to openly discuss the struggles in our minds, including mental health, trauma, addiction, and more. I am not a counselor and the podcast is not meant to replace professional therapy, more like somewhere you can go to find connection and learn how other people's experiences can aid in your own journey. Speaking of which, I work in the field of behavioral health as a peer and youth support specialist. Working with both adults and children, I share my lived experience with mental illness, trauma, and addiction in order to connect with clients and help them see that they are not alone, helping them to share their own story, set goals, build hope, and live more self-directed, purpose-filled lives, which is the spirit I'm bringing to this podcast. The website for Sound Mind is soundmindpodcast.com. There you will find social networks, learn more about guests, and where you can leave a comment or send me an email. And I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a reaction to an episode. Now, on to today's guest. Jane, which is not her real name because she's choosing to remain anonymous for this show, came from a seemingly good home, but behind the veil of appearances, she was often neglected by her alcoholic mother who lives with untreated bipolar disorder. Jane was also abused by her sister. Her childhood isolation cultivated in her love of art and nature. Her father passed away in 2010. Three years later, Jane's path to healing began and continues to this day. Jane is an art model, musician, published poet, visual artist, avid surfer, and like like me, she's also currently obsessed with plants. So with that, let's meet Jane. I'm good. How are you? I'm amazing. Thank you for asking. Thank oh, you for coming great. on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I thought we could start off. Maybe you could tell us a little about you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm 34 and I am in a relationship. I live in Los Angeles. Um, I am a surfer. I'm not professional. I just do it for fun. Um, but I am a professional art model. Um, cool. And currently, uh, you know, we're still we're still somewhat locked down around these parts. Um, so I uh, am, have gotten really into um, the birds and squirrels in my nice <laughs> in my uh, yard. <laughs> That's and great. Yeah. And then I've just been planting a lot of stuff and working with like, um, I get out, you know, I'm super into plants, like house plants. And now I've kind of started mm-hmm. taking over my yard. So there is, I'm growing like ginger and potatoes and papaya from seeds and lots of sunflowers and things like that. Oh, that's awesome. I have a lot of sunflowers in my garden too. I love them. Oh There's yeah. all the different varieties and they have all the different pollen on the outside of them. They're just so pretty and fun to photograph. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mine are just little babies right now. I got inspired by everybody else's sunflowers and mm-hmm. so mine are like only like a foot tall right now. <laughs> well, can you there. can you tell me about um how you grew up and how it's impacted your mental health through the years? Yeah. So um so I here's you know, to wrap it around with the plants thing, um, I was always living I, I grew up in Florida and um I was always outside, like, you know, she, my mom would be like, you get in or get out. And I would always pick out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we were really independent. Uh, my mom is diagnosed bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, uh, is no longer alive, but he definitely was an alcoholic and he, um, everyone, you know, he, he was like a known alcoholic. Like he would call me up sometimes and be like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to answer my phone for a while. Cause I'm checking myself into a rehab. So like he never did 12 step or anything like that. He never got sober. Um, but he would have these little drying out periods where he's like, Oh, I'm going to go, uh, check myself in. Um, and my mom's bipolar diagnosis didn't come till I was probably like already out of the house. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my sister, who's three years older than me, and also two, my parents are 18 years apart. Um, and I'm Native American on both sides. So uh, it's like a cliche that like, Native Americans are alcoholics and Native Americans drink a lot. Um, and so it was just kind of like a theme on both sides of my family that there would be... Um, stuff that was out in the open and just tolerated. And that's just the way it was. So like excessive drinking, alcoholism, 
was just the way it was like especially you know because I was born in Oklahoma and so that's all Cherokee territory and Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of Cherokee people and so there's a lot of alcoholism and um, I uh, they they separated they had kind of this weird arranged marriage Um, my dad was a businessman and my mom's grandfather was a businessman and they had had a lot of money and kind of were trying to get their grandkids off the meal ticket and um and kind of did one of these things where if you marry my granddaughter I'll buy you a house kind of thing and uh they linked my dad up with my mom and they both drank a lot and they both had a lot of fun but by the time uh she was pregnant with me which was like maybe 6 years into their marriage um they were splitting and cheating on each other and separating and um he, my dad had had some issues with drinking and uh had gone into a bank looking for a loan and called like got denied and came back drunk and like called the bank president a cocksucker and like that was <laughs> the end of that and it ruined my mom's ideas of wanting to get into this country club and um which so she, so she's also a narcissist mm-hmm. so she is all about appearances and as long as everything is fine on the outside she is fine and so with my dad's alcoholism all of a sudden the appearances started crumbling and so he's like i don't want to do this anymore and she didn't want to do it with him either um you know the appearances couldn't be kept so um they kind of started splitting but right around that time before i was born when my sister was in preschool she was po- they thought maybe she was a sociopath. Oh, wow. So, uh, and there's some stories about like my mom neglecting us and my dad kind of like waiting and watching while my mom's on the phone to see if one of us would fall into the pool kind of thing. And uh, supposedly I fell into the pool and he got me and was like, hu- held the wet baby and was like, look, you know, you're not paying attention to your kids. Um, and so, you know, I grew up with this alcoholic bipolar narcissist mother and this very strange sister three years older who everyone thought was probably a sociopath because in preschool she was telling people like oh I love you so much can I give you a kiss and then she'd go to bite them on the cheek oh wow uh she was that kind of very strange like harmful vindictive thing was very funny to her and she got a lot of pleasure and humor out of causing pain in other people. And I don't, I don't know anything about how that stuff is bred or, or if it, it's in the womb or passed down. But there's certainly, you know, in our family tree was a lot of, um, like, sexual abuse and neglect. And, and so, you know, by the time I came around... Uh, and the, by the time I had the kind of memories of like growing up, the safest, best place for me was like outside alone, hanging out in my yard in Florida. Um, my mom had moved us all down there because she had kind of ruined her reputation in Oklahoma and wanted to start over. Mm. And there was a lot of money in South Florida. There's a lot of money in Palm Beach and West Palm Beach. So she wanted to try to find like another rich guy and um, you know, my, it it was an interesting thing. And so I would, you know, I'd be flown back and forth between the two of them. And my dad would bounce back and forth between Oklahoma and Texas. So like certain things were really, um, my mom wasn't really interested in being a mom. So I definitely like had to learn how to take care of myself real young. Like there was a can opener, there's a microwave, there's a stool to reach the top of the stove. There was a stool to reach, um, the, washer and dryer and so like I was a dirty (laughs) starving kid (laughs) oh man um and my mom was really really verbally abusive to my sister and physically abusive to her and uh but also like would leave us alone a lot you know she'd lock the door she'd have guys over she'd be hung over like sometimes I wouldn't see her for a while um and there was just like a lot of uh 
a lot of sexualization. So my mom, the only books I ever remember my mom reading me were Where Did I Come From and What's Happening to Me, which is like a book about sex and puberty. And uh, she didn't really know how to communicate. And, you know, by the time I was like, not cute, like four or five, like, you know, there was no more sitting on the lap. There was no more hugs. There was no more kisses. Um, so she loved us being like little baby dolls. And so she would buy us whatever we wanted. So like we would be in matching outfits and there would be like hundreds of dollars spent on photo shoots. And, but like, you know, I didn't, I had to make my own lunch or like, she'd like drop me off at the grocery store with a credit card and be like, you know, so there was freedom, but there was no guidance. There was no nurturing, um, total latchkey kid, uh, wild. And, uh, and, you know, and then of course, like if there was any need for discipline, like it just came down hard. So wooden spoons were broken over the ass and black belts were slammed on the counter and slammed on you. And, um, there was not really any sort of like teaching or training. It would just be like, we'd have free reign, free reign, free reign. And then all of a sudden we had crossed a line and there would be explosions. And so, you know, it wasn't until I got older that I realized I was like, Oh wow. Like my mom had serious anger issues. She was very abusive. Um, there was always alcohol in the house. Um, she always had cocktails. Like I, I have so many memories of like accidentally picking up what I thought was water and it turned out to be gin and tonic or vodka tonic or, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, yeah. And then, you know, there was the, my sister would always be getting in trouble. So no matter what I did, um, she would get in trouble. Uh, and I tried to stay really small and very quiet and not be seen. And I was the invisible child. And my sister was um, the comedian and the instigator. And, um, and so my sister kind of fed off of this negative attention. And, and affection didn't really work on her either. I could be as sweet as I wanted to, but she just wanted to destroy me. And, um, she would do crazy things like I'd be swimming in the pool and she would wait till I was right in the middle and she would scream and yell that there was an alligator coming to eat me or a shark coming to get me, which probably doesn't seem like that's that bad, but when you're four and unsupervised, yeah, it's pretty scary. (laughs) It's terrifying. Um, and then as I got older, she would try to set me up to like get in trouble And, um, she would spread rumors and like, she would always, and she was like super sexualized. All of us were very sexual at young ages. Like I lost my virginity at 13. My sister lost her virginity at 13. Um, but she was like, it just was weird that like (laughs) my mom had no problem putting me in a thong at 11 and thought it was adorable and was like, Oh, got it. Um, you know, she, she didn't care what boyfriend I had as long as he was cute. Um, she didn't, she didn't care how they treated me. Um, and my sister, you know, she, both of, both my sister and I also looked a lot older for our ages. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we were, we were given alcohol. Like I remember when I was like maybe 11 or 12, we would go to happy hour at Chili's and she would get two for one and she'd always give me the other drink. Like she needed a drinking buddy like there was just constant this attempt to to catch us up and corrupt us so that we would be adults because she just didn't want to deal with kids, <laughs> and um, and yeah, my sister used to try to uh, well, she one time she snuck a boy into my room, and then he stayed the night and he slept on my floor. But then she told everyone in my middle school that I'd had sex with him, and like the next thing I knew, like the entire middle school in sixth grade, like was calling me a whore and a slut and oh wow like friends turned against me because I guess he had had some girlfriend and like I I didn't know and it was just she would do things like that and and pollute um you know she'd come into my room and take my clothes she would uh you know if I had a friend over she'd escort the friend and be like oh come play in my room and like the little kid you know eight-year-olds don't know how to say no to bigger sisters going, I have way cooler stuff. You don't want to be there. <laughs> um, so she just like really enjoyed inflicting pain. And, and that even lasted till I was like, oh God, when I was 18, I was on a date and she was 
she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, so happy that my sister wanted to hang out with me that I invited her to come on this date with me. And then she ended up sleeping with him that night. Oh man. (laughs) Wow. You know, just like it did no, no, you know, there was no boundaries. There was no offense that was too big or too small. Like, and then of course, just like the gaslighting afterwards where I'd be like, you slept with him. And she'd be like, no, I didn't. And my mom would be like, yeah, she didn't come home last night. So um, and then he was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I slept with your sister. So <laughs> oops. <laughs> I guess that means like, he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm really sorry. She just, you know, and, and those types of things, like, you know, by that time, by the time I was, you know, when I was a little, little you know, I, there was just no rules. There was no parenting, like, and there was all this money. So like we had a trampoline, we had a pool, we had a jet ski, we had, all of these things. So on the outside with that appearances thing, it looked like everybody was happy. Everybody was fine. Like, of course they're not, of course this kid's not, of course they're being fed. Like where really like it wasn't, if my sister was in charge of me, she would make the macaroni and cheese and she'd give me like a tiny bite. If I got up to use the bathroom, she'd eat all my food. Um, Wow. There'd be even to a point where like, so she kind of, my sister ended up to kind of developing a de- an eating disorder and later, um, you know, was kind of a little bulimic and binge drinking, binge eating. Um, and so the more I learned kind of about like abuse structures and like I was the neglected one and she was the verbally and physically abused one. So it wasn't that odd that she would develop, um, like binge drinking habits and binge eating habits. And it wasn't that strange that I would be the one that like doesn't eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like abstains from things and like, you know, hides and is small and, and turns into like the exploding doormat kind of person. I, I was uh, going to ask you about what that means, exploding doormat. Exploding doormat. So like uh, I heard this term uh, where um, if you're a doormat and like you have no boundaries and, and you don't know how to say no to people that you just like, yes, your way into problems until eventually you just like, you just go like crazy and you go like, no, and people are like, uh, Whoa, what's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Okay. You're being like so polite. You're like, I'm yeah. trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. But like, you never know how to say no. And so then when the no does come out, it's like, this ferocious insane, ferocious thing. Yeah. and people are like what's wrong with you because <laughs> you lied you know it's a form of lying like yeah and so you know uh for me too like alcohol was definitely a thing you know when I was uh I, and whether or not this is genetic or whether or not it's uh, a product of being left alone all the time or just kind of like being human and going like, well, that was fun. Like, you know, when I was little, like going over at a sleepover, we used to make ourselves faint and pass out. And so that was Mm -hmm. definitely the first thing I did that when I look back, I was like, oh, I was doing that alone in my bedroom at like 10. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was sneaking, you know, I used to think this was an alcoholic thing, but now I realize it was because of like, hunger but I used to sneak the maple syrup bottles into the bathroom and chug them oh wow like I was starving and I yeah uh, you know maybe there wasn't enough food that I knew how to make in there um and I was like trying to smoke basil when I was 10 11 um but the the drinking you know going getting drunk thing happened when I was 13 uh again sent to France by my dad because he wanted me to be cultured and he's and he uh sent me to france to this weird boarding school in nice which i loved but i got drunk like on my first day and was like i want to do this all the time and uh ended up binge drinking every night and if there was one group that didn't want to go like i would find some other group um and knew how to pull it together and um you know I thought I was being pretty clever, but, um, I mean, no, I never, nobody got, I never got in trouble. So mm-hmm. I even one night like got hammered and threw up on somebody and, uh, like a staff member for the school. <laughs> I threw up oh gosh. 
and you know couldn't go to classes the next day and I was like I'm so sorry I think I have food poisoning and they're like uh-huh like but they didn't they just looked the other way yeah um, you know so I don't think they cared or something like I went to class I got good grades and I drank all night um and that's kind of how I you know, lived for a very long time. I could always make it to work. Um, I never got drunk at work, but I could, but I wanted to binge drink, but, um, you know, but when it came time to like stop drinking, I, I guess like, this is where I kind of get confused. I went to AA and I went and, and did 12 step stuff and I, found it very helpful and very useful. And so much of the things that I really just like, Oh my God, I need this so much. Like I didn't have a problem stopping drinking. Like I could abstain and be, you know, I could not eat. I could not drink. I could not sleep with people. Like I had no problem stopping stuff. Um, I really, when I saw the 12 steps, I was like, Oh my God, like I have to do this. Like I need this guidance. I need these. Yeah. It's for your soul. (laughs) I needed that stuff. And so it didn't matter to me. I was like, ah, like if I start drinking in a night, I don't want to stop. So like, if that's the definition of an alcoholic, fine. And like, I wanted to not drink anymore. Um, but you know, I guess this kind of goes into some of the questions that I, I know are coming. Um, <laughs> is, uh, so I became, you know, like, because of like all the, 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 what's it called? Like, uh, pruning and, 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 uh, priming or whatever that I was through, uh, with growing up with a narcissist and a bipolar mother, like I know how to behave. I know how to follow the rules. So like I did everything that was suggested to me. I did every single thing that was suggested. I was like the poster child for 12 stuff. And three years later, like I'm having massive breakdowns. Mm. I was like, and it was so frustrating. And this is definitely like the biggest thing that you know, going into different 12 step rooms and like hearing people struggle. And there's been this phrase that gets passed around of like, um, if you're, you know, sober and you're doing your program and you're miserable, you're not doing it right. And I just crumbled under that. Like, yeah, that, that was the worst thing you could have ever, like, that is the worst advice in my opinion. Like, yeah, I think like, if you're sober and you're working a program and you're su- still miserable, you have a deeper problem. Right. And, you know, there's, and so I had to go look for that help because, and it took me a year and a half. It took me like a year and a half of praying and meditating every day, doing uh, inventory, calling sponsors, calling friends, going to meetings, doing all of this stuff. Um, and like nothing was working and I was going to a meeting every, every day in two different programs going like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And I'd had a therapist and, um, my therapist was finally like, somehow we kind of finally got on the topic of family. Cause like I was in a relationship at the time and like, it was just going horrible. Um, later because I found out he was a narcissist and I just like fallen back into my old rules. Yeah. Like, be hollow, be the every woman, never, never ask, never knowing how to ask like, well, what do I want? Yeah. Um, and exploding doormat. And he's like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, and thinking that if I just complied and if I just followed all the rules and if I just did everything this person wanted, they would love me, which is the old, you know, stuff from, growing up with a narcissist like they 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 throw you that line and then when you reach that thing you give them what they want they raise the bar they up the ante and they they never 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 give you the reward and so you're constantly on a hamster wheel chasing this thing um and you know I felt like that had kind of been recreated in jobs I had a boss that was you know crazy and doing the same thing where I'd do everything she asked perfectly. And then she'd go in and be like, you didn't clean the soap dispenser. 
And I was like, you're right. I didn't. I'm horrible. And so like being sober and following all the rules, like, and still getting nowhere, having a bad relationship, having a hard time in my job, like, you know, it just was so miserable and so unsatisfying Um, that, and I was seeing the therapist and he kind of eventually like, um, brought up family stuff. And then I was like, yeah, it was super dysfunctional. And then he was like, your mom sounds like an alcoholic. And I had never, ever considered that. My Mm -hmm. dad was always the alcoholic. My mom was not the alcoholic. Your father's the one with the problem. And, um, and kind of going like, oh yeah, my sister was kind of a sociopath because what happened when I went into my first 12 step program and I did my first inventory, I was kind of parroting a lot of things that I'd seen in the rooms of like, oh, I owe all these people this amends. I'm so horrible. I was so damaging when I was drinking. And I was kind of guided into that thinking. And so, you know, I was like, yeah, I guess I did do all this damage when really I go back and I go, no, I didn't. Like, I I didn't damage those particular people. <laughs> yeah. And, uh I didn't do anything to them. Um, and so I kind of went back and by the time I was 18, I had really kind of cut them out of my life. By the time I was 27, when I stopped drinking and entered 12 step, like through a men's process, they came back into my life and I was doing my best to be the best daughter, to be the best sister. My dad was dead by that time. Um, but I had kind of flipped from kind of just like, my drinking was really solitary and if I did drink socially it would be at a bar like a lot of single serving friends and um you know then all of a sudden I brought these people back in that I really hadn't had a relationship with because in my mind I created the story oh my drinking took me away from these relationships Mm -hmm. really it hadn't I had just kind of like not I moved away from them and they didn't chase me. (laughs) Yeah. Probably for your own good. Yeah. And also before I got sober, my dad had died and my mom had tried to kill herself. Um, Which also kind of brought her back into my life. Um, Because when someone tries to kill themselves, um, you you know, reevaluate what they mean to you in your life. Mm -hmm. And so I felt instinctually like this is bad news. I don't want any part of this. I don't want to be anywhere near this person. Um, She's damaging and abusive. and, And by that point, I kind of could see like how abusive she really was because when my dad died, uh, my family members kind of started coming out of the woodwork to start telling me stories from my childhood that I had no idea about, about them splitting up, about the abuse, about the neglect. And they're like, look, no one raised you. Like you were completely unsupervised. Um, that was the first time my, one of my family members told me that my mother was absolutely a narcissist. Mm-hmm. And then through the process of doing my men's <laughs> I kind of like erased all of that and was like oh no I'm so sorry mommy I'll be the best daughter ever and so I went back to her and like kind of ended up back in this situation where I was constantly trying to please her and it didn't work nothing I did was enough um and my sister kind of you know there was a lot of triangulating so like they would gang up on me or my mom would want me and her to gang up on my sister um very confusing stuff because like when you're on when you're like two against one and you're so used to being left alone you're like oh I'm I feel a part of yeah (laughs) you get like tricked into being a bully (laughs) I can see that would happen though really easily yeah and so you know it was just kind of like some of that was kind of starting to come up again where my sister really wanted, you know, if they were fighting, my sister would want me to be on her side and then it would be two against one. And then my mom would collapse. And then, you know, my sister would go run to my mom and go, I'm so sorry, mommy. And then they'd be against me again. And 
there was no winning. It was always messy. There was no solutions, um, no boundaries. And just kind of a lot of this, like, you never, I never really felt loved. I felt like I was constantly chasing it. Um, and so much of that was because I never was allowed to ask myself, like, what do I want? And like, can I just step away from this? Like, I don't have to be a part of this. Um, so, you know, being also in certain rooms, like you hear about other rooms, you're like, oh, people suggest, why don't you go here? Why don't you go there? <clears throat> and I had just kind of heard other people saying that they were there at ACOA or ACA. And when I was sitting in the therapist's office and he was like, yeah, it sounds like your mom's a narcissist. Oh, and your sister's a sociopath. I was like, oh my God, I know what's wrong with me. Oh God. Like I know where I need to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, know what I need to do. Can you, can you real quick talk about ACOA, what that is? Yes. So, um, uh, ACA stands for Adult Children of Alcoholics, or ACOA stands for Adult Children of Alcoholics. And it is, uh, it was originally started by Alateens. Um, they were, the Alateens, you know, were dealing with parents who were alcoholics. And Al Anon was really spouses and other family members. And so when the original kind of Alateens grew up and, and uh, aged out of Alateen and started going to Al-Anon meetings, they were, didn't identify. They're like, we have totally different problems. Um, this is a real different dynamic. And so some of them sprung off and, and branched off and wanted to start their own group because they were working from the laundry list. And so when I read the laundry list, which is basically the characteristics that you develop if you grow up in an alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional home, which can be anything from, you know, a workaholic, a overeater, a, uh, someone who has any kind of mental illness, but even if it's not a parent, like if a, let's say like a, let's say like one of your siblings has down syndrome mm -hmm. and the whole family's efforts go into supporting this kid with down syndrome you can still possibly create this dysfunction. Mm -hmm. You'll have an invisible child. You'll have a hero child. You'll start having all of these branching effects um, if there's not enough to go around. And, and when you have a particular family member that their needs are so much louder than maybe the other siblings and you don't have people who are really on top of making sure that all of the kids' needs are met, you will have the same kind of uh, developmental problems and behavioral issues than if the parent was alcoholic and neglecting, you know, so mm -hmm. neglect is neglect and abuse is abuse. And, you know, um, dysfunction is dysfunction, no matter necessarily what the cause is, they really found. And I've sat in these meetings and just been like, oh my God, this person had my exact family and that person had my exact family and they had my exact family. And it'll be like completely different, you know, scenarios, but the, the result was the same. Yeah. The experience was the same. The experience was the same. And, and, you know, and like weird little clusters of stuff too. Like if there's a narcissist in the family, like, oh my God, like how I related to children of narcissists or how I related to, um, you know, just how siblings abuse each other and, and the way narcissists split people and there's an angel and a, and a, you know, devil kind of thing. Like there's a good kid and a bad kid. And no matter what the, the good kid can fuck up as much as they want, but they, the parent like won't cognitively deal like it's a projection. It's a delusion. Mm -hmm. And so no matter how good the designated problem child is, they'll never get to that reward or love or whatever so it's it's just a really it was it was so eye-opening because when I read the laundry list I hit every single one of those markers and I was like this is me this is me this is me this is all the problems I'm having right now I'm terrified of angry people I'm abandoning myself I am refusing to let go of people who are hurting me um 
I was terrified to have fun. I still kind of not super into last minute change of plans, but (laughs) (laughs) working on it. Um, but yeah, it just like, it, I I needed to be sober for a while. And I think I, I'm glad that like my path went the way that it was. Cause I was, I was about four years sober when I went into ACA and I'm seven years sober now. And who I was then versus who I am now, like those are completely different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the steps are very different. Like, you know, the step two was like a family tree where I labeled everybody. And, 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 and I think the other thing too, is there's so much in, in other programs, particularly like an Alcoholics Anonymous, where it's like, you're really trying to be nice. You're trying to be of service. You're trying to be, and like, that is kryptonite to me to like, my problem is I need to say no to people. Yeah. I need to, I need to stop helping. I need yeah. to stop trying to do those things. And so there was a lot of things where um, maybe somebody who didn't grow up in a dysfunctional home that just is really alcoholic, like, and had a serious problem, you know, I do, I was not a blackout drinker. I was a numb out. I liked numbing out. I hated not being in control. I needed to be in control at all times. Um, I just wanted to feel good. Um, yeah, I relate I to that a lot. To, yeah, and I wanted to feel free. And mm-hmm. like the the voices in my head that told me to behave and be small and be quiet, and you know, those were the voices that I wanted to to. When I was drunk, I could be funny and I could be loud, and like it gave me personality. Um, but it also made me like not nice. I was definitely mean when I was drunk. Um, I had no problem making fun of people. And I like kind of became the person who I didn't want to be when I was drunk. Um, but then when I was sober, I went back to being really meek. And so it took like sobriety plus ACA to learn how to not be this like meek doormat. Mm-hmm. Um because I was terrified of saying no to people. I was terrified of disappointing people. And I saw that in my first inventories. It was all like, you know, the fear column was like, scared of not being loved, scared of not being liked, scared of being a bitch, scared of abandoning people, scared of being abandoned, and scared of disappointing people. Like over and over and over again, didn't matter who it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just, you know, fatefully, I didn't have the people that had had the experience to be able to look at that and go, oh, okay. Like I had definitely good sponsors that really got me to where I needed to be at the time. Um, but then I hit that part where like, I needed somebody who was going to be able to, to relate and go, oh, that's because your parents are fucked up. Like you don't yeah. have to put up with that. Um because so much of the the narrative and and the echo chamber and some of you know of being of service and being nice to people and you don't you don't say no when someone asks you for anything in AA and it's just like that was so damaging to me yeah um and I overworked and overscheduled and overbooked like at one point I think I had like five sponsees because I didn't know how to say no and you know, five all on step one, like, (laughs) yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, it was a lot of work. And, and I, you know, I, it's kind of a funny, cause like, I really do love AA and, and I really do kind of go back to that room more than any other room where I'm at now, because I'm like, okay. But when I first started doing ACA, it felt crazy and abusive in there. And I was like, I can't be around these people. Um, and now I kind of feel like I can't sit through an ACA meeting because I've done the work and these people, and I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I can't hear the story. It breaks my heart now. Yeah. Um, Where at the beginning it was like air. It was like, I I hadn't breathed in 10 years and hearing people tell those stories. Like I gulped it down and now like, and I think that's also one of those things too, where when I didn't know when, when I was in denial about a lot of where I was coming from, uh, like as far as the dysfunction and stuff, like I could watch serial killer documentaries. I could watch really 
morbid shit. And like now that the healthier I get, like my pain tolerance or my interest in that stuff is like gone, non-existent. Oh, that's interesting. Can't do it. Um, whereas before I think it was like my psyche, like going, yes, there's danger. Yes, there's danger. This is what danger looks like. Like, please see this. Um, and I was just obsessed and I could watch SVU for like nine hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and I think that's something I, I've heard people like relate to that. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so ACA, uh, uses the laundry list and it also uses the bill of rights and it also uses like a workbook. And I did my ACA steps with a fellow traveler, um, because of my need to please, um, I felt like it was time for me to have someone who I was not trying to dominate and who was not trying to dominate me. And I really needed that dynamic shift. Like I really Mm -hmm. needed, um, to be able to do steps parallel with someone where like you do stuff at your own pace. I do stuff at my own pace. And when we are ready to share, we share no judgment because, um, that, that just, and I found somebody like who had a really similar mother to me, who had a, a sibling who kind of was really similar. And, um, and you know, the sweet dad, like my dad was an alcoholic, but he was so sweet. Like he might've abused other people, but he never abused me. So like, I thank God had like one parent who was just so loving. Um, but he also did And ironically he died when I was 24. So, mm. um, but for the first like year that I had, that I was like heavily going, I was only going to ACA. I was doing my steps in the yellow book and I was reading the laundry list and the bill of rights every single day, which is like, it's never your responsibility to please unpleasable people. Like it's never your responsibility to love unlovable people. It's never your responsibility to like take responsibility for problems that aren't yours. Like there's so many things in that. But you need to hear it. Yeah, like I needed somebody to tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, I because I'm such a good listener. I'm such a good uh, compliant person. Like I am happy to follow the rules, but like you know, and I had some outside stuff too. So like I definitely early in sobriety, I read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective. Oh, that's a great book. Which was like the first. I feel like he was my first parent. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> Um, and then in right before I did ACA, I read women who run with the wolves. Oh, I haven't read that. And then I read it again after I did my steps and like, you know, one of the things that they talked about in that, which like just struck me so hard was the Bluebeard myth. And the Bluebeard myth is, um, like the the three princesses go through the woods like bluebeard is a known murderer like he is reputed to have killed all of his previous wives and he's looking for another wife and he's whining and dining these three princesses and the two older ones are like thanks for the lunch you're still a murderer and the younger one's like well his beard's not that blue <laughs> and marries him and you know ends up in this situation where he eventually tries to kill her um and ha- she has to be rescued and i'm like that is my life mm. like, i was so instinct injured one of the major dysfunctions that was in my household would be like i'm hungry and someone would be like no you're not i'm sad no you're not like you have all these instincts that are going danger, 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 or I have a need, I need, I need. And you're either having no one there to hear you or you're having someone telling you that your instincts and your feelings are wrong. Yeah. And so you learn to be nice. And so that was my life. Like I, I, so many times I had had just red flags glaring at me going like you don't want this job you don't want to date this person that that friend is not really a friend like just so many different moments where my life was and I just went oh I'm just being mean I'm being judgmental I should be nice and 
that was something that even started, you know, when my mom was dating guys when I was a kid and I'd be like, uh uh-uh, not that guy. He's bad. And she'd be like, you be nice. You be nice to him. He's taking me to dinner. Wow. Beating down all of your instincts. All of them. And like, you know, later come find out like one of those guys was in the mafia. Like, (laughs) (laughs) wow. You know, like, oh, okay. But, and, and so like that was such a helpful book for me to read. And and there was, you know, the ugly duckling story of like, keep searching for your drive and um, just kind of, it was another thing that was like, this is another parent. This was a mother that I needed. Um, CP Estes was like the mother that I needed. And Stephen Covey was like the father. That I needed. <laughs> it was for me too. <laughs> when I went to college, I, I brought Stephen Covey to speak on campus because I loved him so much. Oh my God, that's so good. Cool. Uh, yeah, he was awesome. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like part of the ACA stuff is reparenting and like becoming your own loving parent and kind of going like, okay, so you didn't get it then, like give it to yourself now. Yeah. Um, and learning how to hear those bad voices and be like, cause that's what I think a big thing too is in, in other 12 step programs, we all know how to identify the, the mean voice, the bad voice, the critical voice, but like, there's not a lot of training on how to create and nurture like a replacement positive voice yeah like that's all outside stuff like I I it's 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 amazing like I (laughs) I wish there was like a little bit more of like a a feeder program and like that there was a little bit more structure of like yeah you know like okay step two like you got rid of those negative voices like step two is like let's give you some nice ones yeah Uh, and I love the freedom and and all like that 12-step provides but there to me there's just like not enough publicity about like that phase two like we know how to clear out we do not know how to replenish Mm -hmm. um and like it's just so vague it's it's and I don't know maybe and maybe like back in you know 80 years ago families weren't so dysfunctional (laughs) maybe I don't know about that I'm sure they were parents but like to me I just go like this was such a necessary this was such a necessary jump to, to, to go from like sober to, okay, let's learn, how, like, let's be sober and learn, learn how to deal with myself. Okay. Then let's learn how to deal with other people. And then like, let's really learn how to love myself, mm-hmm. and like really learn how to parent myself. And, um, cause just growing up with in an alcoholic home and with so much dysfunction, there just was no there was no no one who was able to tell me like you know and then like I even had to do a thing where it was like who taught you how to comb your hair like who taught you how to get dressed and like like, (laughs) (laughs) me myself and I me myself and I my mom but my mom would be like you're so talented because she'd be like who braided your hair? And I'd be like, I did. She's like, where'd you learn how to do that? I'm like, I taught myself. And she's like, this kid's incredible. (laughs) So I just kind of like, it just kept uh, self-effacing itself. You know what I mean? It it kept like nurturing itself where every time I did something for myself, I was rewarded. Mm -hmm. It It was a compliment. Every time I learned how to do something by myself, I got loved. And I was like, oh, so I got groomed into being this like hyper independent crazy like multi-disciplined person where like I sing I like I you know I'm a musician I'm a visual artist I'm an art model I'm a surfer I do plant stuff like I've had every fucking job you could possibly imagine um I've worked in restaurants I've worked in schools I I used to I detailed boats I was a sea turtle data collector like wow that's amazing you know it's just like I was up for anything which also so like that's the other thing too like I definitely spent a lot of time talking about the bad stuff but I have learned how to appreciate all the good that's come out of all of that stuff um and I can call the bad for what it is and just go like this is these things that happened and they were really bad and like even just telling all of this stuff, like, I don't feel heat in my chest. I don't feel my head getting hot. Like, yeah, I'm just verbose, but I, and I can tell a story and I'm, well, let me ask you, cause we only have a few minutes left. Yeah, sure. What advice would you give someone who is just entering recovery and recovery from anything, drugs, alcohol, or dysfunction? 
I would definitely suggest like allowing yourself your judgments and your labels in the beginning of like other people. Like the instinct thing is definitely like when I have any kind of sponsees or anything, like one of the things I tell them is like, trust your instincts, trust your instincts. Like if somebody gives you a bad feeling, if a meeting feels off, like just, you know, people are going to be like hyper discipline, like go, you know, follow the rules, follow the rules. I'm like, yeah, 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 follow the rules. But like your instincts come first. Mm -hmm. And if you think someone's a bad guy, if you like, don't say yes, just because you feel like you're going to get in trouble if you say no. Um, because like, I, I knew what was good for me. I knew what was warm. You know, when I went into rooms, I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. Nobody tricked me into going into any room. Yeah. And, and I had definitely walked into some rooms where I was like, this feels wrong. There's something not right here. And, you know, later something would, you know, avail itself that my instincts were right. And I would sit there and suffer and not feel relief and not feel connected and not feel like I was getting what I wanted because I, I was trying to be polite and trying to follow the rules. And guidance is good and suggestions are good, but like to, to if you walk into something and you go, this doesn't feel right for me, like to trust that. Um, and if something is just like very, very right. And cause there's a difference between going like, oh, okay, this is going to be hard. Um, for me, there's definitely a different feeling to like, this is going to be hard versus, and I don't want to do this versus this is wrong. Yeah. And really learning how to decipher, like, am I being lazy and stubborn and a brat or like, it, are my alarm bells going off? And you know, trying a bunch of meetings and trying a bunch of different things. And, and I I feel like that was really the biggest thing for me because so much of my issues stemmed from ignoring instincts, not allowing me my judgments of like danger versus (laughs) difficult. Um, and cause like, you know, especially if we, if we've been in any kind of addiction, be it food or men or, alcohol like our work like we're numb and the most important feeling to get back is like your sense of navigation through the world and because that was seriously like I there's definitely been times where I'm like this is a dark scary path and like that is very dangerous but I kind of think I'm supposed to go that way Mm -hmm. um Versus like, uh oh, this, I don't want to do this. Everything's saying no. Like, why am I going along with this? Like, that's the shit that got me like in cars with drug dealers and like doing stupid shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like where I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be doing this. And like, I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how, I didn't know how to exit gracefully. Yeah. I had the story like that too. (laughs) You're Um, stuck being nice. Yeah. Like, like, especially for women, like, and I, you know, women in particular, like we're so groomed to be nice all the time. And like, when it comes to my life, like I have to just learn how to just be like, I'm going to be a bitch right now. I don't care how it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, being nice got me into a lot of trouble. Yeah, me too. Well, girl, we have up, ran up the time. It was so lovely talk. I didn't say very much. I know. I was like, I, I like that was not like I just basically talked the whole time. No, I enjoy it. You had a lot of good things to say, so it was it was a good podcast. I appreciate you making time. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, All girl, right. I will see you on the flip side. All right, sounds good. Good night. All right, good night.